0: Today's scripture is from Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Good morning. Excuse me while I set up for a moment. I want to invite anyone who I haven't grabbed yet to come on down. If you are a young person, I, I've already told some of you that I'd be doing this. Come on, let's, come on. All right. And also, if you would like to, everyone can move a little bit closer because I'm going to be using a, some tiny props. And so the best experience will be up close. And so anyone who wants to can move a little bit closer. Um, but... Especially if you're young. Emma. (laughs) Emma. All right. Let's start off by singing some songs. By the way, you guys can scoot toward the middle if you want. Uh, Well, actually, you've already moved up. Okay, cool. Let's sing a few songs. I need everybody to stand. Everybody, let's go. Stand, please. What? Oh, I said sin. No, no, no. Ignore that, Randy. We're going to sing some kids' songs. Alright, I'm told you guys know Awesome God. I know we sang that last year. You guys ready? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God He raised from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. 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 You guys know Lord's Army? Alright, let's sing. I'm in the Lord's Army, yes, sir! I'm in the Lord's Army, yes, sir! I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly or the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army, yes, sir! I'm in the Lord's Army, yes, sir! I'm in the Lord's Army, yes, sir. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's Army, yes, sir. I see some of you know different movements. That's okay. As I said last year, I learned a lot of these movements uh, 2,000 miles away, so I learned them a little bit different. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Uh, sing one more. You guys know Roll the Gospel Chariot? Alright, let's sing. You guys know a different version? Okay. Roll the Gospel Chariot along. Roll the Gospel Chariot along. Roll the gospel chariot along, and we won't tag along behind. If a sinner's in the way, we will stop and pick him up. If a sinner's in the way, we will stop and pick him up. If a sinner's in the way, we will stop and pick him up. And we won't tag along behind. If the devil's in the way, we will run right over him. If the devil's in the way, we will run right over him. If the devil's in the way, we will run right over him. And we won't tag along behind. Alright, thank you. You can be seated. (coughs) You might have noticed that I brought a few props up here with me. I have a balloon here. I have a couple balloons. Let's pretend I have one. Let's pretend this is a person for a second. We need to name this balloon, okay? Somebody give me a name. Bob the Balloon. Alright. That's the first one I heard. Alright, Bob here is a good kid. He likes to help his parents out around the house. He does well in school. does the best he can. He doesn't get straight A's. He's not showing up. But... He does well and he works his hardest because Doug, Doug, Bob, Bob, that's the name. Bob wants to be a good person. He wants to be a good, godly person. Bob wants to serve God. But Bob is like everybody else. He's living in a world that is full of temptation. What is a temptation? Somebody give me an answer. What is temptation? Say it again? Say that again? Okay. A 70s band. Okay. Wall corrects. Not the answer I'm looking for. Yeah. Okay. It's something that lures you to evil. Good. That's a good explanation, right? It's when we have a desire to do something that is bad or unwise. Okay. Okay. So, I'm going to represent temptation with this pin here. Okay? Those who are in the back, you're going to have to take my word for it. I have a sharp little tack in my hand. Can you verify this is real? You're not going to touch it. I didn't say touch it. Can you verify? (laughs) Can you verify? Yes, this is real. It's a real pin. You'll see it's real in a second. But, balloons and pins don't mix, do they? Right? Balloons and pins do not mix. And it's the same with humans... And sin, temptation. So we like to go a little bit closer to the balloon. I'm not going to pop it yet, okay? But this is what temptation is. So give me some temptation, some actual examples of temptation. Come on. Anybody? Bad TV shows. That's a great example. So let's say Bob. He goes to school and hears all the other kids talking about this really cool TV show, and he goes, "Mom, Dad." Can't I watch this? And mom and dad say, No, this is a bad show. We don't want you watching it. You're not old enough. Whatever the reason is, we will not let you watch this show. But Bob keeps going to school and he keeps hearing people his age talking about it. And so Bob one day goes to a friend's house. And Bob is staying the night at that friend's house. Oh, and look what happens. Their friend turns on that TV show. Temptation, Right? What does Bob do? What's another temptation? (laughs) Everyone's really waiting for this in anticipation. (laughs) I like this power. No. No, give me another temptation. Lying. Okay, that's a good one. That's one of the earliest temptations we face. What else? Cheating on a test. That's a nice temptation. See, Bob, he's having a hard time in algebra. He says, you know what, if I just look at that person's test, you know, it's not that bad, right? No one's being harmed, I'm just being helped here, right? It's not going to hurt anyone, right? And so Bob gets closer and closer, and what happens when Bob fails, falls to temptation? What happens? It wasn't that bad, was it? Okay. That's what happens, right? That's scary, that's hurtful. We just killed Bob, okay? No. Okay. No we haven't, but in a sense we have because in Romans 3:23 what does it say about sin? Well, that's 6:23. Sorry, the 6:23. The wages of sin is death. Right? You knew what I was going for. Thank you. So we killed Bob. It's scary. This is this is bad. Temptation, sin is very bad. It's very scary, right? It has the power to shake us to our core. And you know what happens? It not only does it damage our relationship with God, it also damages our relationship with ourselves. Bob was popped. It hurts when we sin. You ever ever do something wrong and you feel really guilty for it? I know I have. And that's what sin does. It makes us feel bad. It makes us feel guilty. Sin has such power over us that we feel like we're worthless because of it. So, if one sin is that powerful, how bad do you think many sins are? Okay, can you confirm? These are mini pins sticking out of a little foam piece, okay? At least 25. Everybody see that? So, how bad is one sin? It was enough to pop Bob, right? Well, here comes Bob again. I know, he's back to life, Okay. But Bob has already been popped by sin before. He's already fallen to temptation before, but now he can't he just can't help himself. He's gonna come back. And what happens? Watch what happens. What's happening here? Do you see that? It's touching. But he's not popping. See, Bob, let me tell you, this is what makes sin so scary. Because, no, these are real pins. Here, here, if you don't believe me, confirm. These are real, and yet it's not popping, right? That's the scary thing about sin. Because the more you sin, the less bad it feels. The more you sin, the more desensitized... You become when Doug first when when he committed that first sin, he popped. He was so scared. He made a big noise, and it was the worst thing in his life. Right? He felt so guilty. But now he's doing it a lot, and it's not so bad anymore. But make no mistake, eventually he'll pop. Killed Bob again. That's right, guys. This is what's so scary about sin. We do it once. We feel bad. Then we do it again. We do it again. Before we know it, we're sinning all the time and it doesn't feel so bad anymore. We get used to it. Let me read a passage from the Bible. It's up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Everybody with the Bible, go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. And it reads, Therefore I say this, and testify in the Lord You should no longer live as the Gentiles live, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous, and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. And that was Bob, wasn't it? He wanted more and more. He wanted to play with more and more needles. It also says, it's talking about this, this group of people who have handed themselves over to sin. They've let sin become their slave master. And he says they have hardened hearts. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a hardened heart? Okay. Okay. Yeah, and we're going to see that in the next word even more so. Anybody else? So, what she said is, you don't feel it every time you sin. You don't feel it as much. Sorry. They're not letting God's love reach them, right? They're resistant to the truth. And so, Paul says, the writer here, Paul, he says, they they have hardened hearts, and he also says they've grown callous. What does it mean to be what is a callous? It's a thickened part of your skin. You guys know hard workers in your family? Maybe a farmer, right? Somebody who lifts heavy objects a lot. They have calloused hands, right? Because the first day they worked, they had a lot of blisters. It was hard. It was painful. And then eventually they kept working and those blisters became calluses, right? It's like your skin is growing armor so that you're less sensitive to the things you're doing. Okay? So that's what callous is. So why would Paul... Say, these people who've handed themselves over to sin have become calloused. It's like they have calluses on their soul. What does that mean? It's kind of what you said earlier. Yeah, they're not sensitive to sin. They don't feel it anymore. They're like the farmer who's been working every day of his life. He doesn't feel the the thorns when he, when he picks them up, right? Because his skin is so calloused, he's been desensitized to it. And Paul is saying the same thing about these people. He's saying they have been doing this so long they don't even feel it anymore. And that's, again, why skin is so scary. Because sin wants us to grow calloused. Sin, uh, Satan wants us not to feel the pain anymore. So look at verse 20. It says, But that is how, not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about Him and were taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So what does Paul mean when he says you need to take off the old self and put on the new? Somebody want to help him out? What does it mean to take off the old self to put on a new self? To change how you are, right? I think in the context, that's exactly what he's talking about. And I think he's also referencing a portion of Galatians where Paul says we need to be clothed in Christ. He says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Why would we want Jesus, why would we want Christ to clothe us? Any thoughts? Why would we want that? To protect us. That's right. So, let's pretend... Here's Doug again. Doug. Bob. I'm sorry, Doug. Bob is back. Let's pretend, let's just for the sake of our demonstration here, pretend that Jesus is this duct tape. Now, that's probably the first and last time you'll ever hear Jesus compared to duct tape. But... For the purposes of what we're doing here that'll work now i could cover this whole balloon in duct tape and that would probably be a better demonstration but this will work for right now okay so doug doug bob (laughs) i said it once i'm going to say it all i'm going to say it the rest of this time bob version three now has jesus in his life bob is now closed with with christ so what's going to happen now See that? the sin is there the sin has come in but Bob's unharmed because that <laughs> sorry that was not part of the demonstration okay but do you see what Jesus was able to do there not destroy we're ignoring that part Jesus was able to protect Bob. Now, that doesn't mean you should be messing with needles. That doesn't mean Bob needed to be hanging around the needles anymore. But it does mean that when he did fall to that temptation, when he did actually sin, Jesus had him covered. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And so that is what the power of Christ is. He can clothe us and he can protect us from these sins. We can be covered. Yes, we may fall to the temptations. We may go back to the needle once or twice. But Jesus has us covered. He cleanses us. He protects us. And that's what it means to be clothed in Christ. So I need you to do me a favor. I need you to turn to your neighbor and just tell them, you need Jesus. Okay? Okay, now now point to yourself. Now point to yourself and say, I need Jesus. Because that's the truth. The truth is we all need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Everyone in the world needs Jesus just like everybody else. So I appreciate that. I'm going to ask you guys to stay as well behaved as you have been. Be a little bit quiet. I'm going to let Chris come up here and lead us in a song. And then I'm going to talk to the adults for just a minute. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. Come on up. the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus died for all the children of the world. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And the ironic thing is, he doesn't need us. When Paul was on a missionary journey, he was traveling through Greece, he stopped off in Athens and he was shocked to see how many idols there were in the city. And I have to say, I wouldn't be I don't think his response to our culture would be much different than his response to there cuz we have a lot of idols in our own culture. We are filled with them. And these Athenians, they were not only worshiping any god, any deity they could think up. They were also worshiping deities that they couldn't think up. They even had an idol that was uh, an altar that was to an unknown god. And so Paul sees all of this in the city and he addresses them in what is now a famous sermon in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 22. It says, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship. I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring then... We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. It's a nice short and sweet sermon. Very good sermon by Paul. I, I love this sermon for many reasons. But Paul told the people of Athens and he tells us today, God doesn't need us. We need Him. He is the one who sustains us. He is the one who gives us life. His, all the things that we have are gifts from Him. He is the one who created us all. God is all-powerful. He cannot be served by human hands. He doesn't need us to give Him offerings or to to dust Him off. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need us. But we need Him desperately. And Paul, he's pointing out a folly with the Athenians here. He says, your own poets have said that you're God's offspring. That the gods created us. Like that's what makes God you know, a deity, a deity, right? So they understand that they are the offspring of God, and yet they're practicing the opposite. They're worshiping their own offspring. They're worshiping things that they created. They're saying, Yes, God created us, and then they're worshiping that which they have fashioned with their own hands. And Paul says, Don't you see the foolishness of this? God made you, He sustains you. He doesn't need you to come in and dust him. He's a, he doesn't need you to come in and make sure he stood up at night. God is not stone or steel or wood. God is all-powerful. He created it all. And he created us. We are his offspring, not the other way around. And this God who created us, because we are his offspring, he has power over us. And he calls all men everywhere to repent. To turn away from their old lifestyle. And Paul, of course, continues this calling throughout his letters and some of the passages we already read. He says, put off the old self and put on the new. He says, be clothed in Christ. I read a passage from Romans 6 just yesterday about how we should die to our sin, be buried with Him in the waters of baptism, and be raised to walk in newness of life. He's calling everyone to do this. And so my calling for all of us is very simple. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can make it on your own. Don't fool yourself into worshiping your own creation. Into worshiping idols that you fashioned yourself. Because, yes, we don't we don't really have idols the same way the Athenians did but we still have many idols in our culture and we worship at the altar of our wealth, of our money but God is the one who gave us that we worship at the altar of our own reputation sometimes but that could be destroyed in a split second we worship at the altar of so many idols so many distractions that we'd rather worship than God but God is the one who sustains us He is the one who created us. We are His offspring. So how dare we worship any of our own offspring? So we need to repent. He calls all men everywhere not to fool themselves into thinking they can make it on their own. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. And so, again, I said it was simple. That's my calling for all of us this morning. If you're here this morning and you've not come to Him, We want to offer you the invitation. Jesus said said it himself in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all who are, excuse me, (coughs) come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Won't you come? As together we stand and sing.